Hey, how's it going? This is Craig Cannon, and you're listening to Y Combinator's podcast. Today's episode is with Jessica Brillhart. Jessica is the founder of Vry Pictures, and they're an independent immersive content studio in New York. Before founding Vry, Jessica was the principal filmmaker for VR at Google. You can see her work at vrai.pictures. All right, here we go. So you started your company this I year. Uh, why? Uh, great question. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so I, this actually ties into my past, actually. So I was at Google for eight years. Uh-huh. I started as their first filmmaker with the Creative Lab. I moved on um, five years later into the Google VR, on the Google VR team, which is now the Google AR VR team. I don't know. They might be different now. I don't know. But the, um, so I became the principal filmmaker for VR at Google, which again is, talk about titles. It's yeah. like the fanciest of titles. It was very cool. Um, so I helped develop, uh, so Jump, which was their uh, VR live action kind of capture ecosystem, um, for live action foot, uh, VR footage. And I was making stuff and working with the engineers and, um, the hard, you know, the more that I was working there, I think I found it was very, very tough to be reactive. In the beginning, it was super easy because mm-hmm. it wasn't like VR was still pretty new and no one really knew what we should be doing with it yet. And then once it started to solidify, it was much harder to turn the big ship towards the things that I thought were important. Mm-hmm. Um, namely, you know, I thought that, um, there was something, some really interesting, um, parallels between the machine learning team mm-hmm. and the Google brain team and, and also what was happening on the VR team. And just in the terms of the mediums, how similar they were both in how they've become more, um, more present in our lives. Um, how they both kind of were like, everyone was really excited and then, oh no, it doesn't work. And then it was like, wait, we found this weird thing that actually makes it work great. Mm-hmm. So like for VR, it was like cell phone technology. Actually, we have it in our pocket. We can make this stuff work. And with machine learning, it was like, right, logic is wrong. Like it's yeah. actually preventing us from doing the right thing and then, and teaching these, you know, systems how to learn. And so suddenly they both were on this trajectory. And from a creative standpoint, you could see some really interesting stuff coming from both teams. And I felt that. Um, there was a lot of ways that we could um, work together on stuff. I also felt that there were lots of interesting pockets of uh, uh, artistic pockets where we could create content. Um, it wasn't going to be like, you know, with the big studios. It wasn't going to be like the big IPs. It was really going to be um, in these places that needed it um, probably more than Hollywood. And, you know, like thinking about ways that it could be functional and helpful for people. Yeah. But also be artistic. Like, it didn't have to be boring and, and It's not weird. just functional. Yeah, precisely. Like, function is actually good, because, like, films actually serve a function, serves a of purpose, course. you know? And yeah. so VR could also do it. Any sort of immersive content can. So I felt it was all... And I had before also, like, worked with... Um, I had worked on some stuff, uh, kind of envisioning what the future would be like when, when, when glass was around. Yeah. And it clearly worked, because everyone now is wearing <laughs> glass, so we're great. But the... Um, so for me, it was like, I'm really interested in this other layer of immersive stuff, but I also believe that it's not one technology or another technology. Mm-hmm. I believe it's all kind of going towards something. They're mm-hmm. all going to work together. And so a combination of that belief and wanting to be more reactive and honestly, just working on the stuff that I felt was important to me to work on. Um, I, you know, once, once that all sort of became more clear, I felt that once I had left Google, it, the, the best course of action for me was to actually create my own company. And so Vray Pictures um, is the company um, 
we Ray for short, uh, and uh, has all the letters in it. Yeah, meaning which, VRAI. VRAI. Uh, but uh, so I didn't want all the letters in my name because I always thought that that was a little weird for me. I mean, I've, it, it exists in the in the ecosystem, yeah. and some people wear it really nicely. Uh, for me and my company, I was like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I want that. And then um, I was in Paris with my uh, with my partner, and, and he had said. Um, I had, I had asked him, uh, you know, what's the word for true? And he had known I was looking for a name. So he, he immediately was like, hold on. And he took a pen and he wrote it down. He goes, that's what it is. And the word for true in French is vrai. So V-R-A-I means true and actually means real, depending <laughs> on what how you use it. Um, so at that point, you're like, okay, well, I can't not. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it, this makes absolute sense. And so... Yeah. Um, uh, I started the company in January, and it, it really does, uh, in a very odd, eerie, but wonderful way, uh, reflect the stuff that I care about, which is how all these letters, all these, you know, you can pick it apart even and think, you know, it's uh, it's visual arts, it's uh, mixed reality, it's all this, all these various things that we 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 talk about will all come together, work together in really wonderful ways, and actually lead to whatever this new immersive environment will be. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, right now we're seeing each as like these separate paths mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think it's really not going to matter. <laughs> I think you see the same, the same thing happens in science. It's happening right now where like, you know, physicists and mathematicians and CS people are all learning Python yeah, and like it's converging yeah. into one thing right? just through computers. Right. So like it, maybe your deep dream, deep dream project is like the most like clear example? I think it is. Yeah. I mean, that was really funny because, um, that's sort of, so in Seattle, uh, so the jump team, I think is still in Seattle. I, I don't know, but they, uh, so the engineers that are working on the, like the computer vision people that are mm-hmm. working on the Google, like live action VR rigs, uh, are planted in Seattle at the same office. And it used to be on the same floor as, a t- uh, as the, um, a Google machine learning team that was, uh, literally adjacent like next to each other. Never really Not intentionally. Uh, kind of. Well, they're both computer vision teams. Okay. So I think that was the whole, that was the reasoning behind, I don't know, but, um, I would visit the Seattle team and then I was fortunate enough to make friends with the, um, with this particular machine learning team, uh, AI team, uh, uh, it was run by this guy, Blaze Aguirre, Earquez, who's amazing. Um, so him and some friends of mine, um, who were working on this team were literally sitting two feet away from us. And I had gotten an email, uh, from Clay actually on the Google VR team saying AR VR team or whatever, uh, had emailed me and, and put me in touch with, with them saying, you know, they're actually, an, they're announcing deep dream. They really need a video person to help them out. And so, um, you know, they're asking me what I had. I, I originally just showed them stills of, uh, the stuff that I actually filmed in VR. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started having this conversation around, well, I, I was trying to push on them the idea that, well, what if, if you're able to dream up on top of my, the stills of these VR yeah. clips, then surely you could do it in such a way that we can actually experience it in VR. Yep. Um, and it was a bit of a back and forth being like, well, the fidelity might not be that great. It'll be low res. I don't know if it's going to be interesting. And then finally they, they, uh, uh, Doug Fritz, who uh, was working on the team mm-hmm. at the time, and he he actually gave it a shot, um, worked his magic, and we were like, oh, this is actually kind of compelling. Yeah. Um, 
we don't know what it is. I mean, we're just like dreaming up on stuff. And it was really, it was really fun because I think, um, there was no expectation. It didn't fit on a roadmap. It was literally just us working together to see what we can come up with. And we actually worked with Ross Goodwin, um, on doing, having, uh, his system, uh, which was trained on Faulkner and Vonnegut separately, uh, to actually write prose about what it saw. So, and then it would recite it on, uh, using this voice, Myra, which is an Irish, uh, speaking, Irish, uh, mm-hmm. dialect speaking, uh, Apple voice, Apple, you know, Mac, Mac OS voice. Um, uh, which made it really just unbearable because it was like, <laughs> and we both sort of like, this yeah. is kind of interesting, but it's like, it sort of calls to, to mind, like less is more in a VR space. Yeah. That, that it's like once everything's like kind of acid trippy, like hearing this like Irish American speaking fabricated lady speaking Vonnegut interpretations to you just doesn't, isn't, um, ideal. Uh, right. It's kind okay. of hell on earth. So we, uh, we, uh, sort of used it with caution. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense when you like change out every variable; it just completely throws you for a loop. Yeah, because it's all kind of close, but sort of nonsensical. It is. I mean, I think what's great about what Ross does is that it actually does. It is very poetic, but it gets dark very quickly. Oh, because well, Vonnegut. Vonnegut's a little bit more upbeat, but Faulkner is like, uh-huh. um, you know, like yeah. But, so. Uh, I, I consider her a she because I hear Myra all the time every time. Yeah. But it's she. She sort of says these phrases that are like sometimes very kind of like normal, uh-huh. normalized about like the world. Like you know, a man with a hat on a hilltop. You know, why is he there? What is you know? She'll, she'll go off on that, and then she'll <laughs> then she'll be like the darkness. It looms. <laughs> <Or> like, <laughs> it looms for me or something. And we're all just like this is this is weird. Oh, you know. Dude. Um, Again, it's like us interpret. I mean, what's interesting is that there's, it's all pretty surface stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and the, the depth is stuff that we bring to it, uh-huh. which I, I really thought, I think that part to me is very fascinating. Like how we interpret it is really where the story, where the emotional like foundation comes from. So this is actually like a big topic I wanted to jump into, which yeah. is like framing, right? So in cinema, obviously it's a director, a cinematographer working together yeah. to create the picture that transmits a story to you. Sure. But in VR, like obviously you have a certain amount of control but how do you think about that at like the framing in the storytelling oh so i don't think it's storytelling and i think that's the main problem is that people think you know i think story is extremely important to the medium i think storytelling is kind of like it's sort of like you want to get to something that's important Mm -hmm. so you take a pill to make you feel that way like say like um a sleeping i need to go to sleep uh-huh. i need something to help me sleep so i'm gonna take a sleeping pill yeah. i don't recommend that I, I i'm not you. saying that's something you should do it's just something that some people do um i think storytelling is the act of taking that pill so it's like yeah you may take that pill you might you know take you might exercise before you go to bed it's 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 a means to an end but it itself is not the end and so for film storytelling was the way that you got to story and a lot of mediums the telling part was actually really important because you couldn't actually take those people and put them where you were thinking mm-hmm. and now you're in a medium where you can um so telling doesn't really work anymore you don't need that it, it's like uh, hmm. if you think of it as you know, you know kinetic versus potential mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. right so kinetic is storytelling. It's the idea that actively I am trying to, to take you and put you over there. Mm-hmm. So it's this kind of active thing that's that's occurring. 
for VR, the way that I've been looking at it is it's more potential story. It's I'm crafting worlds that you where if when you go there, the story is something that you can decode. Right. So it's like how do these worlds transmit the story or represent the story? Right. So that no matter how you interact with that world, um, you're able to sort of decipher or get to the to core to the core values of what that story is trying to transmit. Okay. Um, it's a bit in the same line as in like an Aesop fable uh-huh. in a way. It's like slow and steady wins the race. If that's what you're going for, it's not about the turtle or the bunny. It could be anything. Right? Yeah. It's about that's the core value of the story. That's what we want the takeaway to be. And so in my mind in VR or any immersive content, if you can get that piece, that truth transmitted to that person, yeah. it doesn't matter what kind of experience they have. They walk away with what was most important to okay. you in the first place. And, and how do you think about that in the context of, you know, video games? Do you think that is just a transition to immersive content? Do you think it's it's there for certain games already? I think certain games provide... What, what's interesting about games for me is is this idea of flow, yeah. um, which is, it's very musical in nature. The best games are where they give you the capacity to explore at your leisure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of my favorite games have been like something like Myst, um, you know, uh actually love Red Dead Redemption a lot because, you know, yeah, okay, it's really stressful, this, this like, this like rail that we're putting you on. Maybe you just want to take a break and train some horses over there. And that's fine. And then you can duck back into the story when you want to. This idea that you can be in a completely um, explorable place, you can do all sorts of things that you want, but then there is this rail that you could go on and duck in and out of. I think that, to me, is very compelling. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mist had that same sort of rail as well. Um... It's, it is definitely a different kind of game if it's like, okay, you do have a, you do have this and that's all you can do and you can't move forward until you do that. Like a Super Mario Brothers is a great example. Any of the earlier games. Literally. Literally. Yeah. yeah. Side scroller. Sure. And I mean, I think that's something that we need to be aware of as, as creators in the space too. When we talk about games, we don't meet, if there's no, it's not a catch all. Yeah. Like different games serve different purpose, different purposes. Pong's different than Super Mario Brothers, which is different than Mist, which is different in some ways or a lot of ways from Red Dead Redemption mm-hmm. too. Like Red Dead Redemption at least gives you, you know, uh, elements that are, you're used to dealing with. Like it, it works sort of similarly the way the world works. Um, like, okay, that's a gun. That's an evil person. That's a, like, it's easy to kind of decipher it in Mist, The whole point was that you had no idea what you were doing. Yeah. You're pulling lever. <laughs> the first thing you do is there's a book on the ground and then you go and then there's a lever and you don't know what the lever freaking does. You yeah. pull it and nothing happens. And yeah. you're like, well, is this going to be the rest of the game? Yeah. And it is. Right. <laughs> kind of, you're like, I don't really know what these things do. And many of those games, like pre-internet, were so hard. Now you just go on YouTube and it takes two minutes to figure out what you're doing. Yeah, I know. I know. I actually, one of my, uh, there was an old game from the 90s called Amber Journeys Beyond, which is actually, has been an inspiration on a recent project. Um, and it's really great because there's some, um, well, it was just a really great game. It was sure. sort of a mist-ish copy made by two guys. I don't think they made anything after that, but they um, ended up. Um, we well, you can't play it anymore unless you have an emulator and a piece of hardware that will help you run it. Um, but they have a there's a there's a bunch of playthroughs on YouTube. And I actually sat there with a glass of wine and literally watched my, like, I remember it was such a beautiful experience, actually, where I'm like, okay, I actually love watching other people play these games. And the commentary is really beautiful, too. I think um, one of my recent, my one of my recent favorite games is from uh, Davey Reed and uh, The Beginner's Guide. Um, 
it's wonderful because it literally sets it up and says this is a 45-minute game. Because most of these games, you're like, I don't know if it's going to take up my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, it's basically you're on rails, but it's him, and he kind of gives you – he voiceovers it. And it's about this other game creator who's uh, created kind of these weird psychological, like, very basic games. So, like, it's weird. It's like he builds this character – that you never see, and the game, and this character is someone you explore through the games, pieces of games as this character is made. Yeah. And Davy is, is taking you through it as if he knows this person. But then you start to question whether or not this narrator actually knows this person or not, or if this person gave Davy the permission to, mm-hmm. to showcase his games like this. So suddenly you start to question everything as you're going through this like kind of game. Play. It's, it's, I think it's really brilliant. I think any game, that kind of takes the, it takes the format, and then through your interactive, uh, through your in, through the interactivity through your agency, yeah. kind of makes you feel these different things. Uh-huh. Um, I think that's a huge win for, yeah. for games, especially. And I think that is where immersive needs to go. Uh, Florence, uh, which I think just won the Apple Design Award for like best designed game. Um, this guy uh, Ken Wong, um, who was the designer on Monument Valley as well, started his own company in Melbourne. He's an amazing creator, and he um, this game Florence is all about using you use your phone the way that you would normally use your phone, but the story you feel for the story based upon the way that you would feel for like conversations and interactions with your phone. So moments of frustration (laughs) is like, you know, not hearing back from the person for like three minutes, like that kind of thing. Like latency, all those things. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like how fast you, like how you reveal things, like the whole idea of swiping. It's just very smart. And I think that's the thing. It's, It's not, we try to shove a lot of this stuff through preconceived notions and conventions where embracing how technology works now mm-hmm. and using those limitations as a means of telling a story in some capacity or understanding a story in some capacity. I think that to me is really fascinating. And that's have you played, have you played the game? I, this is really embarrassing because I met the creator. I think it's called like black box or something, the iPhone game where it's yes. all the puzzles. So for instance, like one of the puzzles, you have to put your phone in a freezer and the temperature has to hit a certain <laughs> amount and then you unlock it. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's ex- I mean, it's stuff like that where I'm like, that's just so, cause it, it makes you question your like relationship with a device. Totally. You know, and I think that's an interesting thing cause that, the, 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 that story yeah. is potentially as good as some of the films that you've seen. Of course. You know, and it, again, it's like, it's not one to one, but it, it still gets you to the same place, uh, mentally and emotionally. Yeah. Um, so, so, okay. So when you left Google, did you have a project in mind or were you just going to client stuff? I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Okay. I just knew that I needed to go. Yeah. Um, I think that the, the, um, what I ended up doing first was I took, I kind of got a lay of the land, sort of explored what other people were doing, talked to some folks, um, thought about the things that I wanted to do. Uh-huh. I think for me, I needed a little bit of time to sort of get a sense of what was out there. It's, it's difficult because when you work for a company for that long, mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, okay. Like, my my problem was water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink kind of where it's like, oh, I have all this stuff, uh, yeah, yeah, but I can't do anything with it. And then one of my limitations was like beyond that was, um, you know, I had, I had seen 
where interactivity was going. I had a lot of ideas for that. I could see where augmented reality and VR could, could talk to each other, where uh, machine learning techniques and VR could talk to each other. I couldn't do any of that other than the stuff that I could kind of sneak through. I think in frustration I made um, what I believe to be sort of like a VR gift type thing, which was the Weather Channel project that uh, I did. That was my favorite one. I, know, I, I, don't, I don't mean to be down on you because no, no, I know no, no. there are other really ambitious ones, but that was my favorite. Yeah, well, it's most people's favorites because yeah. they get it. It's yeah. like immediately apparent it's... And it's also like, it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, yeah, and, yeah. and it's one of the things that people were always asking was, well, how do we make comedy in VR? And they try to bring comedians oh, in. I and know. I'm like, it's not, it doesn't have to be a literal thing. You know, you don't, it doesn't have to be like slapsticky or like, here's, you know, freaking like Jerry Seinfeld telling you a joke. Like it's, it's literally just like, what what is the human condition like what have we created for ourselves in light of spaces and experiences that mm-hmm. are just inherently funny yeah um and the weather channel just happens to be like watching the weather channel is one of those things oh totally it was very adult swim it's okay. like the, the little infomercials yeah it was really great and I, I think that to me and i made that in a day yeah that's not surprising <laughs> yeah yeah no but i mean it, but considering how long it usually takes to make vr of course. It, it's insane and i can show it to anyone on my phone i don't care if they watch it on youtube in low res or high res yeah. like it's one of those things that you could just show anyone and yeah. i i i love that stuff and i i still think that that stuff's very important as well um so it was all that stuff and just this idea that uh i felt that i yeah again being reactive seeing how everything works together creating a wide variety of stuff i think i did want to but i also really wanted to to create like i had to work in a three doff environment or like a three like 360 stereo environment which for me was actually really great because it forced me to understand how something like just looking around um was still very interactive mm-hmm. um it wasn't and because I think that that and how we actually experience a space and how those spaces engage with us, that is the that is an important part of this medium. Um, I don't know if I would have necessarily come to that conclusion if I had made it immediately like volumetric and sixed off and you can, you know, you can speak whale. Um, <laughs> so for me, I yeah. think that was it was important to have those limitations so that I could see within the, or I could explore within the medium just some of the basic building blocks of what made it so special. Mm-hmm. Um but that that said, I really wanted to make volumetric six stuff, whale calling VR experiences. I just wanted to do more. Um, and I wanted to work with different technologies and different VR companies and really expand what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt as someone who was in the space early enough and who had the fortune of sort of being around the medium and its sort of second resurgence, I felt that I had the opportunity at that moment to actually do some good. Yeah. Um, so... So what's coming out next? So I can't, yeah, I was thinking about what I could talk about. Um, and I can't, I feel like I, I've been told I need to be patient Uh. and probably not talk about anything yet, (laughs) but I think I can say that one of the things that has been really amazing is, um, uh, the response to me going solo ish was really, was pretty good. I mean, it was like, I got so many people coming up wanting to work with me and, and, you know, pretty like big names and IPs and mm-hmm. so on. Um, so the, 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 the projects that I have, I can say that there are four projects. Um, one is with a, a pretty big IP, uh, which is a series, um, which we're in development with right now. Um, 
I'm still working out how that will work, but we we're excited about it. Um, the, and, uh, I feel like that's really interesting because that's both, it's, it's something that explores, um, uh, the biopic and how we reimagine that sort of, uh, experience in VR, um, in a way that, that feels like a journey. It feels like you're going somewhere special. Yeah. Um, so that, that's sort of the crux of the series. That would be awesome. Cause yeah. biopics are so bad. Usually the music ones are so disappointing every time. Well, the first one out of the gate will be a music one. Great. So that should be, that should be fun. Hopefully you blow the doors off of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thank yeah. you. No, I think, but it's difficult because I think music has a, I mean, has a capacity to transcend and be emotionally valuable yeah. as well. And so I think that for, for me was an important part. Plus this particular person is a, a very epic cultural icon. So it's, it's, it's a, a wonderful, it's been a very interesting, uh, experience getting to know who this person is, um, on a deeper level, many deep, on many levels. Um, the second project's with an architect who's pretty well known. Um, and it's sort of a, it's a combination of, it's more exploratory kind of figuring out what we should be doing with his work. Mm-hmm. Um, the third is a game. A fringe game, probably more in the weather channel Perfect. sphere, um, which I'm very excited about yeah. because it's ridiculous. And I, I think, but I feel like it, there needed to be a game that was more like what kind of helped do what Pong did for folks, um, hmm. where, you know, I wanted to have a game that was simple enough that people could all understand and play hmm. and would be also sort of an introduction to like what immersive stuff was. Was sort that of getting not them Pokemon used- Go? Pokemon Go to me is still a bit complex for folks. Like I feel like it's it's I think it totally helped people get the yeah. hang of things. I'm thinking about like what can be uniquely VR. Like you know like not taking an an original IP like okay. a yep. like a Pokemon. Sure. Yep. It's more like can we create something that is from the ground up something that was built for this space. Okay. Um uh, based upon like thinking about the way that defaults are built, thinking like thinking more in that like kind of retro grade like basic geometry oh, all world, right. yep. and not not like complex character world. Yeah, but complexity comes with it. Longer conversation. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. and I think the fourth was the fourth one. That was sorry. I'm trying to think. It's really hard to keep them straight. Um, oh, that's okay. And the. Fourth one, the fourth one is actually um, uh, an immersive audio project. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, right. dot, dot. Next question. <laughs> but uh, I also, but real quickly, I think that immersive audio is great. I, I think we, we've talked I'm about this before. I'm super into it, yeah. Uh, I feel that there's, you know, as the visual fidelity changes all the time, mm-hmm. and as someone who creates in the space, it's annoying because, like, every time a headset comes out, you have to re-export. Like, yeah. it, for, specifically for live action, I think it's probably a little bit easier Yeah. for probably I'm going to hear back from people being like, it's not easier in volumetric <laughs> or six stuff. But the, but the audio guys are like, we good, you know, yeah. like just like lean back, like, yeah, I'll re-export it as whatever kind of like, you need a 5.1 here. You need like, you know, like what kind of ambisonic, what kind of spatialized like file format. And and it's very, I'm not, this is not to, they are extremely talented. Like the right, the people who are talented are amazing. Of course. At it. The people who know how to do it are incredible. Yeah. Um, it just feels like that stuff is so important in terms of selling you being in a space. Um, and it's, again, people were trying to think of it second. So I want to be part of the, I want to lead, help lead the charge and like it's first for me. Um, Dude, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think like that's, uh, 
people don't realize that you could shoot this podcast on a Motorola Razor from 10 years ago yeah. for video yeah. and then use these mics and that would be good enough. Yeah. Audio is so much more important than HD anything. It absolutely is. Yeah. yeah. And, and no one gives it any love. No, I mean, like, I'm thinking about the Weather Channel piece again. It's like Kenny G really hit it out of the park. Oh, you know? of course. Like, yeah, if that I, I understood there, that in one second. I was like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> understood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, let's go into all the Twitter questions. Sure. Um, so, first question. Sure. Andrew Peterman, Andrew Peterman asks, how long until we'll be able to create 3D, 360 video from cell phone uh, hardware and some kind of software? Mm-hmm. Uh, ballpark guesstimate. Oh, I mean, you can kind of do that now. Yeah. I think it's pretty good already. Yeah. Um, it's a storytelling challenge or not, whatever, whatever, what's the word you want to use? No, storytelling. I mean, I can speak to what, what is the, what's the question? No, I mean, the question is like, rather than storytelling, what would you prefer to say? Oh, oh God. I don't know. World building. I, that's the one that I can think of. Okay. It's weird. Again, it's like the director question. We don't yeah. really know what to call it. So we just, it can be anything. Close enough. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, uh, story crafting. Narrative. Narrative is narrative. good. You know, creating a narrative. I'm trying to think <laughs> back to all the, all the, all the decks I've made in the past couple months. And I think there are a few where I've definitely used narrative, story, crafting story, crafting experience, making experiences. I think time will tell. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. the most important thing. Another, uh, no, few- it's all semantics. It's like you just make stuff that's that's meaningful and you'll oh like, no yeah, totally it's yeah. like the hardest part as any creative person you're like dude i know you want to put me in a box oh. so here's the box but i'm gonna do what yeah I want. <laughs> that's been i actually created this is i love this because i haven't used this phrase in a while but i came up with um in my earlier my earlier days of working i was trying to explain how i edited world tour together uh-huh. um and the, the the thing that i had called it was probabilistic experiential editing um which the acronym is p and I remember when I was putting this together for a, for a uh, presentation, I noticed it and I was like, either I can pretend like that's not the acronym or I have to call that shit out. And so I basically called it out and was like, I know. Yeah. But in the beginning of every medium, you know, people are going to say some weird shit and it may not last, but here you go. And, um, uh, yeah, people actually, the response was very positive because I think sometimes people are so serious, like, well, this is what this is called. Totally. And it's like, well, it doesn't have to be, it could be called anything. We can call it cheeseburgers and it'd be like, of course. Matter. Yeah. And if you have the confidence and you make cool stuff, no one's going to be like, oh, that's not wrong. Like Jessica's wrong. Yeah. And you're like, dude, I make the cool stuff. <laughs> uh, another, another VR future question. Uh, Matt asks, where do you see VR in 10 years? I don't see it being called VR. Okay. Sure. Like I just don't see it. I think that it's all going to go to a different kind of place. I think, yeah. I think it'll be called something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, related, Michael Hodap asks, does VR, or whatever you want to call it, still have long-term mass adoption potential, or will the market shift to AR, uh, you know, so Magic Leap, Apple Glasses, stuff like that? No, I think, I mean, that's already happened in a lot of ways. Like, I think you could see that just in the shift of Google's, like, like yeah. the, the team's yeah, yeah. name. It's like, it was Google, it was Cardboard, then Google VR, then Google VR Air, then Google AR VR. <laughs> so it's like, you know, they don't really, I mean, it's, it's like, people are still, they're trying to be like, okay, what's going to be the most, um, What's going to be the easiest thing for people to grok? Mm-hmm. The, there's part of there's an AR project that I'm working on, or will hopefully be working on. That is, um, it's similar where it's you know everyone has phones in their pockets. Mm-hmm. 
Um, everyone can download apps. So there are these two things that are like easy enough for people to grok where it's like, okay, I get, I get it. Totally, it's yeah. not like I have a new piece of hardware that I have to learn. Um, I think that I still have a hard time finding compelling content on AR for in, in the AR sphere as well. So I think similarly to like where VR is going to be in 10 years, I think that a lot of these technologies, which are by themselves, have weakness weaknesses weak spots yeah will when together kind of fulfill each other's uh gaps fill each other's gaps so like you can imagine okay ar ar is great because it's the most accessible thing yeah you build a relationship with a particular app that leads you into the vr space because now you actually because with vr it's like you kind of need people to care enough to want to do it so if you have an AR experience that is compelling enough, that does speak to you on some emotional level, and the fact that VR, a VR experience can be there to help, like, mm-hmm. uh, expand upon that, like, that's a simple, like, off the top of my head way that those two could work together. Yeah. Is it compelling to you the, the notion that in pick a number of years, people will be in VR for a significant percentage of their day? I mean, people kind of are, aren't they? I mean, with computers and cell phones, like we spend so much time on the internet. Yeah. I mean, if you really you wanted could, to, you could, say that. you could you could probably go to that level of like, well, we do we spend so much time not here as it is. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, we've seen the effects of that in some way. It hasn't destroyed us, but it does it has sort of, it's had ramifications to the way that we work, live, right. have relationships, and so right. on. So I think. I had a, I think I told, I told you that story about the hedgehogs and the, like the plasma screens. Oh, yeah, so yeah, I yeah. went to the lounge at Heathrow, uh, and I saw these plasma screens with these hedgehogs on them for some sort of AI system advertisement. And I'm thinking like Blade Runner called this, uh, in a very just, you know, kind of semi dystopic way. Like, look at, it's just everywhere and it's all over the place. And I'm like, it still is. It just has hedgehogs on right, it. Right, right, right. So it's probably not going to be, Anything that's going to just, just, it's not, it's probably not, we destroy humanity. Like we do a great job doing that. Oh yeah. We're on track. I think the technology itself is something that challenges the way that we exist and will, um, provide us with, with ways to, to have conversation around that. I don't think it itself will be the cause of any sort of insane thing. I, 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 I'm actually not like, I'm not negative about it. I, I think people are just interested in altering their perception. And like, I mean, you see it when people like watch folks on Twitch. Yeah. I think you see it with like, you know, uh, deprivation tanks. Have yeah. you tried those? Yes. Uh, really awesome. They are amazing. Yeah. I mean, that to me, that's what's so great about like with people are like, Oh, when you go into VR and you do a billion things, I'm like, no, you don't do anything. I yeah. mean, like sometimes people just want to hang out. Like, oh, for sure. And just like chill for a second. And that's the thing I think that's very valuable for, for, you know, for VR right now, at least, is the idea that you can focus. Yeah. And it does have that meditative quality that's really great. Um, I also think that, you know, the potential for having it at hospitals, having it at places where people are there sitting anyway, and it's awful. Like, the idea that you can have someone in a VR experience and not feel so bad is, is a great, is a great idea. My dad, I gave my dad an Oculus Go recently. He loves it. My mom's been taking <laughs> photos of him using it. He fell asleep in one, which was really, <laughs> pretty entertaining. And that's, I mean, to me, I'm like, that's how I know it's going to be fine. Cause I mean, it's just, it literally is, a, it's, it's just, it looks, he's fine. Like it's just him being like, yeah, I was watching this thing and I fell asleep. I don't know what he was watching. I didn't ask. Yeah. Just in case it was my project. <laughs> um, but I think that there's something really, there's something really sweet about that where it's like, it's, it's just another, 
thing for us to experience the world. Yeah, yeah. just falling asleep in front of your TV. Uh, yeah, I don't reading think, a book or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, precisely. Like, I do think that there's, um, for example, I actually realized I needed glasses when I was make, starting to make VR because I couldn't rectify the, uh, I couldn't, the stereo dis, uh, You're disparity. You're getting nauseous? Or? No, no, stereo disparities. So I, I couldn't actually, it took me a while for me to see my left and right eye for close up, uh-huh. um, like oh, text okay. Oh, okay. wouldn't, wouldn't match. So they'd still seem like they weren't working. And I sent it to an engineer and I said, um, you know, th- is my text right? Cause I, I, it doesn't seem to look right. And he looked at, apparently looked at it and said, Oh, you know, <laughs> he like, well, the, you know, the font's kind of weird. And I was like, what do you mean the font? Does it work or yeah, not? And he's so like, good. Oh yeah, no, it looks great. He's like, are you sure your eyes are okay? <laughs> and I went to an eye doctor and sure enough, I had like a, I had a stigma thing. So now I'm funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. So, I mean, even that kind of like, I feel like there's some interesting ways of, of how there's a, there are all sorts of things that will come to the surface from once people start to like actually adopt and, and experience this stuff more. Right. I do think from a VR standpoint, like right now people are sitting there with their VR headsets doing yeah. this kind of thing, yep. just like watching. But I, you know, all the headsets are going towards, uh, volumetric, like, you know, positional wireless. wireless. So I imagine yeah. there being, um, you know, a much, uh, a much more interactive, much more engaging. Like you're not going to sit there. You're going to actually move around. Have you been to that? I think it's in like Utah or Las Vegas. It's like some laser tag type thing where you have a VR headset on. Oh, uh, it's the, um, it's, oh my God. Why am I blanking on it? Yeah. They have a star Wars experience too. Um, I'm going to get reamed for this. I don't remember the name of this company, but it's, uh, yeah, they basically do like kind of uh, location-based entertainment. They have yeah. the Ghostbusters thing also that I was here in the city. I don't know. Okay. They, um, yeah, they do. I really feel bad about this. I want to say Valve, but that's not true at all. It's like all the like, all the game talk. Um, I feel like they actually, yeah, they. I think that stuff's really cool. I think it fits within. Again, it's like it's a different genre of VR for yeah, me, yeah. where I feel like that's a that's a very what what they've what they've figured out you have to you have to dedicate like a space for that kind mm-hmm. of thing because what you're doing is you're letting people move, seemingly move through a whole experience and i do believe um that taking that first step in a vr space for a lot of people is really it's powerful it's a powerful thing to feel i uh we were running some very very basic like if we took 360 the 360 like world tour film that i made if we put it in a space and like kind of created like a, even if it was like a rudimentary like box with like what the floor would look like and gave you space to move. I mean, I, I did that and I, I almost like, I was very emotional for me because I remembered what it was like to be there on yeah. a level that seeing it was, couldn't do yeah. anymore. Like you would see it and be like, yeah, I was there. And then you move, you're like, no, but I was really there. And that's where it's like, holy shit. Like when we're able to actually capture our own personal moments like that, where we can relive them, that to me is like kind of terrible. Perhaps. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I've said it before where it's like, okay, you know, part of the human experience is that we forget. Of course. So when you can't forget anymore, what happens when you can't like where you're, cause I, I don't, I believe in the sanctity of experience and the human experience. That's my own opinion on it. I don't think that we should have, all of the world's experiences accessible to people all the time. I think that's a, that's a terrible idea. And I don't like the way that that's been marketed as such. Like, I think that there are, there, 
are things that are poetic to forget and should be forgotten in some ways. And um, I worry that it, that my my worry of, of this is that it goes in the opposite direction where everyone's like, remember everything, right. like experience everything. Of course. Access to everything. Yeah, once we index all of our memories, it'd be perfect. Totally. I completely disagree. <laughs> But, as I mean, long there's as, there's as like long a romance to the for feeling. For me, as long as there's hedgehogs on a plasma screen saying AI systems and it's an ad, like I, as long as those exist in that kind of way, I think there's hope. Yeah. Because it's like that actually brings it to a place where it's like this stuff is being adopted, but in a way that's like essentially harmless. It's like once you start thinking, once you start getting to the like the bare bones of like why people are trying to do this, like what the end goal is for some of this stuff, that stuff gets a little weird. But like I think right now I, we're in a really nice, we're in a reasonably nice uh, place with some of this. Well, I think it's like VR, AI, whatever you or not VR, AR. So it's bringing people joy at this point. So I don't think it's really seeded fear in ways that other technologies no, have. I think, you know, you, it's, we were talking about this, like it's, it's only AI until, uh, until it's cleaning your floors and then it's a Roomba. Yeah. And then it was just like my, my friends, exactly. you know, it's like, we have so much a, like AI intelligence systems around us now. Um, I speak to Google home every day. I would, you know, totally. I speak to Siri occasionally, like and it d- doesn't, it's fine. You yeah. know, it doesn't, doesn't even, um, doesn't phase me at all to do that. But hmm. ask me five years ago, if I would talk to a little speaker in my <laughs> kitchen and ask it to set the timer for me for grilling, it would be like, I wouldn't really understand what I was talking about. <laughs> like, I would be like, that's weird. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's go on, let's go into the craft. Um, so Virginia Pigato asks, how can a traditional storyteller adapt to VR? And actually, I don't know this about you either. Were you making films before? Yeah. yeah. So okay. I, I, I was a filmmaker. So I, my, a quick background on my, my life <laughs> was that I, uh, I, I was a film, I, I studied film at NYU. Oh, okay. Um, and at the same time, I was running across the street to Kron, the Kron Institute of math, uh, yep. Mathematical Sciences. I went to NYU as well. Oh, okay. And yeah. so, uh, so you know Kron. Uh-huh. Um, so I was there, uh, and I got a minor in computer applications, um, not computer science, because I got to Pearl and I hated it. So I was like, no way in hell am I going to like spend my time it doing this. It me so much. I, I, languages like turn people off. I can't stand it. But I, so I would yeah. go back and forth between these two schools. I didn't know about ITP, never heard of it. So, me neither. and if I had, I would have totally gone there. So it was this kind of, so I, I went to both schools, did that. Uh, I had a short, uh, I worked at Apple for a little bit. I worked at a place called UV Factory as their lead editor for a bit. And then I ended up at Google. Um, and Google was, it was always like that back and forth, like science, art, science, art, and then, or technology. Film, I guess, were the two. And then, uh, Google had a position open, uh, for, uh, a filmmaker or film, it was like film editor at first, but then okay. turned into filmmaker when I got there. Uh-huh. So I started working there, uh, with the creative lab, which at the time was like 10 people. The one in Chelsea? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And now has become like a huge it's and a very, thing. it's yeah. a very important part of Google, actually. They, they, uh, create magical, things about the, you know, the brand and like they, they, they kind of tell Google's story about their products. And I was part of that, you know, how do we use films? How do we, how do we be artful about these films? So it's not talking heads and engineers that look really nervous. So I ended up working with them for five years before I went to VR and actually the VR team 
the, the, the people that are working on the camera, I think, found that it would be better if they just tried to look internally to see if someone could use the rig so they wouldn't have to rely on external stuff. It would be more cost-effective to try to find me than, you know. So and I remember they had emailed me. I actually kept the email because it was a huge turning point. Because I was actually feeling kind of bored, to be honest. Like Making I was, film? Yeah, because yeah. it was a bit... Like, again, it's that idea that I wanted to do more and I felt like I could do more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, um, when the VR, I wasn't really interested in VR at all, to be honest. I just wasn't, I didn't think it was for me or I didn't really think about it at all. But then uh, my, you know, uh, a bunch of my friends started working in it. Like Aaron Koblen, Chris Milk started with, uh, Verse at the time, which is now within, uh, Sashka Unseld, uh, went to Oculus and started Story Studio. So there are all these people that I had known who were starting to get more involved with VR, but I, again, I wasn't thinking about it. And then sure enough, I got invited to see this rig and experience the footage. And there was one clip that it was a test footage, a clip that the engineers had filmed of just themselves hanging out Mm -hmm. in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And it was brilliant. Like it was wonderful because I'm like, I'm making films about these engineers and it's really hard. You know, I, I feel like I was mostly successful in doing it, but it was hard to get engineers to be, um, just relax. Yeah. You know, like normal. Or yeah. just talk about what they, what they love about this stuff. Cause when they do, they, it totally makes sense. Yep. But I think they're used to like, well, I have to talk like this and I'm not, I don't, you know, so I had to like, I have no idea what them. you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't imagine you would. Uh, yeah. Um, but then I, I think seeing that I was like, right, this is actually, um, this is the truth yeah. of that. Uh, so to really quickly answer the question, uh, yeah. How do traditional storytellers adapt to VR? Right. Um, you abandon the telling. Yeah. As hard as that is. You think about what I do actually is I, 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 I draw two X's and in brackets, I write down what I want to, what, what the story that I want to tell. Okay. And I use a whiteboard. I love whiteboards. I don't know if it's the Google thing, but I love whiteboards because it's like, it's non-precious. You can just like write and then mm-hmm. erase it and it doesn't exist anymore. So I, I write down, even if it's long-winded and crazy, I'll write down what I believe the story is. And then I'll look at it and start to, uh, to hack away at it till I get to that truth statement. Mm-hmm. So I'll like, it'll be some, like if it was a tortoise in the hair, it's like the entirety of that narrative. And then it's like, you know, slow and steady runs the race might be the end you know, uh, result, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I reduce, mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel you're sort of sculpting at that point. You're sort of like, here's my, the story, the story I would tell is this big block of clay within that block of clay is the actual meaningful bit. Yeah. So oh, I mean, just, that's like the Michelangelo quote, right? It's like, I see uh, it in the marble and then I like bring it out. Yeah. yeah. It's, that's like, a, that, it's that's, literally what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Well then I think that's, Aim, aim for that. Yeah. I, and I, and I, also thinking about, you know, um, uh, as a, once you get to that truth, then it's really about holding it. It's like your North Star. And yeah. it's about, for me, after that, once you get to that, you have to also think about, um, the flow of the experience, thinking about the cadence, how people come into spaces, how they relate to other objects, how they relate to other people, thinking about the various elements that you want to bring into it. Um, so it's layered thing. Is there an, like, like thinking about the tech as well. Like it's not film in the sense that, okay, you edit it in final cut or premiere or whatever you export it, you, you put it on a FTP and you send it to somebody, right? It's like, 
um, the process is very much in flux. Yeah. So a lot of the things you have to consider are who's my audience, where is this going to go, uh, which headset, what kind of limitations are there for the headset, are they creative limitations, are they annoying limitations, and then you really have to understand like you know how those limitations play into the the, the truth that you're trying to transfer mm-hmm. over, and again thinking how is that truth constantly represented in this experience mm-hmm. how do i make sure that regardless of where someone is engaged with either what i believe is front back wherever like how is it even at its worst still able to transfer that over to somebody um so yeah it's a lot of like really the preemptive stuff it's like kind of figuring out you know what are one of the things i call it is like what is what is the what is the superpower for the person in the experience like in a game oh man okay you know what i mean like in a yeah, game yeah, you're like sure. okay i can jump i can like throw a fireball if i have one um i uh i can go this way but not that way so being giving people the time to understand that first and foremost is also important but understanding what those things are and how that evolves over time is part of the narrative too mm-hmm. and could like I don't know if it's like the companion cube in portal where you're given an object that's meant to help you and does help you, but then it's incinerated like three layers in because the computer like wants you to feel awful and you do and it works. And so it's that kind of like when you're given this gift to do something incredible and then, you know, halfway through your, it's taken away from you. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what, I don't want to spoil red dead redemption, but like, so sorry. Maybe <laughs> I mean, we it's cut pretty this old up. at this point, right? Okay, so yeah. there's no, there's the second one coming out, so it's oh, fine. Okay. Um, but you know, you're playing this character, John Marsterson, and you get to the end and you realize that you can farm, like you get your wife back and your kid back and you, you know, you're, you've been trying to help the FBI as this outlaw for the entire game. You beat your kind of enemy, former colleague, and then, um, they let you go and you get your wife back and your kid back and you can farm. And then the FBI comes back in a rampage and kills you and you can't win. There's no like, and you're just like, holy shit, like what happened? And then you die. That's it. And that's life. And that's life. (laughs) And there's nothing you can do about it. And then for the last little bit, you play your son. Oh, okay. And you, and you play the son and then your son is now taking revenge on his father's death. And it turns out, in a way, the whole Red Dead Redemption is about the son, redeeming. not a, not a redeeming his father, not the father redeeming whatever else, which is always a little bit, you know, like, I guess, like, getting back to, at his gang for having abandoned him, I don't know, but yeah. the real redemption's with the son. And that's when you're like, wow, okay. That's when you're like, because you're suddenly like terrified. You're like, I did everything that I could, and you did. Yeah, and you still failed. And you still yeah. failed. Right. Because life, that's sometimes life. And that's how you set up a second game. That's how you set up a second game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Let's go rapid fire through these questions. Um, so Ken Ulcer asks, what uh, what key but non-obvious thing is missing from VR to become mainstream? Uh, people not just focusing on entertainment and games. I think that uh, a lot of what I've been doing has, I mean, granted, one of the pieces I'm making is entertainment, but thinking about education, thinking about various other, uh, you know, professions that could use it, mm-hmm. uh, infrastructure, uh, architecture, like, you know, the other project I'm working on, um, thinking about 
I don't know where this stuff could actually be useful totally, but in doing yeah. those things artfully. And I think that we, we kind of just try to focus on doing this one thing and it forgets like, but you know, we could just find, be inspired by other places where like, yeah. like I've gotten, I've had people come up to me saying like, is VR important to us? And sometimes I'm like, I, I actually help them. I work through the, the stuff with them and I say, actually, no, it's not useful. It might be useful in the future, but I think right now it's, it would be weird if you did it. Um, yeah. Well, I think like this is a, you know, as technologies expand in popularity so quickly now, yeah, they just become hammers and people are looking for nails like right. blockchain. Yeah. It's like, Oh, we have a blockchain. So wait, why? Why do you have that? <laughs> no, it's for sure. It's like, this was driven by AI. You're like, I don't think a, I don't think it was yeah. be like, why would you do that? <laughs> it's like, there's no reason. Yeah. It's like kind of, you know, I think that that's, it, it's more figuring out, um, where I, you know, where you can have, where that stuff, that technology, myself included, where we could have like the most impact, mm-hmm. um, and still be creative and still explore. And I think people who really do want this from other sectors are also really open-minded, at least the people I've worked, been working with, um, to explore those, how it could be really interesting and, and wonderful for people. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, all right. Next question. Uh, Matt McAvey asks, what are some of the most exciting or scariest parts of social VR? And what is the storytelling potential of social VR? Also, uh, what, what is social VR? Social VR is, uh, well, it means a lot of different things. That's another oh, like kind of group <laughs> thing. Well, okay. So it's social could mean like, um, it's a way for your friends or followers to, to basically it's about the idea of like sharing the experience with another person. That's ultimately what it gotcha. means. Okay. So it could be like either you're represented by avatars in the space and there's multiple or it's multiple people being able to do the same experience at the same time. It could mean all those things at the same time too. Um, I did, uh, alt VR. I think that's what it's oh, alt space. Sorry. Alt space VR. And, um, uh, for the first time, like I think a month ago, uh, I just was curious. I, had, yeah. I, I just hadn't been able to do it for a while. And so I, I did it using the Oculus Go and I, um, I was changing my avatar, like, cause you're a robot and then you can be like three or four other things. And meanwhile, this, uh, couple comes along and they start talking to me and I am looking over at them as they're talking to me and I'm still changing my avatar and I, and I kind of like give them a look and then I look away and I, for me, cause you know, you're thinking, okay, it's a game and it's not going to happen. But then you realize they're actual people talking behind that. Yeah. And I just probably look like someone who just gave them the cold shoulder. Like, Oh, it's you. And just like, look, <laughs> because I was like, I don't, I don't even know how to talk. I'm a, I'm still a freaking robot. Like I don't yeah. know how to do this. And I look in the distance and there's another robot and that robot's looking at a fire and it's hearting the fire because you can basically throw like emoticons at things. So it's like heart, 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 heart. And someone's throwing a stick. And all I could think of was, um, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful thing. Because everyone's just like, I'm just going to try out a bunch of stuff. Of course. But this is probably where chat rooms were for like AOL back in the day where you're like, this is great. We're all like one big happy family learning from each other. But then there's also like, then the creeper comes through and destroys everything for everyone. So I think that the fear is that people, there are creepers out there. There are, there, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, um, uh, you know, women being mistreated, uh, in that space as well. Um, I think the same patterns of what we've experienced before in digital space is probably going to be the same problems we would potentially deal with now. Um, and again, it's like, it's more affecting because it's like, 
it's it's trying to emulate real mm-hmm. life to some extent. So these experiences are a bit more uh, they stick to it's you. kind of visceral, yeah. Yeah, Weird. so we have to be very careful about that sort of thing. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I think games with guns are. Uh, I mean, it's hard because. I think that VR experiences should not be following in the same footsteps of games in that regard. Because holding a gun to someone's head is very different than holding a controller so that that character can hold, can hold a gun to someone's head. It's like once you actually put a gun in the hands yeah. of a kid in, the, in a space, it's, it starts to get like there's heavy responsibility there. And I think that's where we do need to be very careful and very responsive in how we create these things. Man. Well, let's end on a happy note. Yeah, then. please. <laughs> uh, uh, so Tony, Tony Kassara asks probably the most pertinent question. Uh, what kind of dog do you have? This is from your Twitter bio, I think, right? You have a oh, mentioned- what kind of dog? Yeah. yeah. I have a German Shepherd mix. I adopted him when he was five months. His name is Fisher. Right on. Uh, he's great. I actually, he hates VR. <laughs> you put it on him? No. Oh. I, when I'm in VR, he gets very upset. He's oh, just okay. like, where'd you go? Like, he's kind of like, but what about me? And um, I think for him, it's like, he's sort of used to it, but he does this whole like kind of, he'll like lay down in the middle of the floor near where I'm doing it and kind of huff like I'm here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he's cool. I um, One of my favorite... Talking about memories and so on like that. Like I've actually, the benefit of having uh, been able to work with the jump rig so early on was that I was able to take a lot of the prototypes and I took one home. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, and I filmed my family and my, my house kind of where, where later part of my life where I grew up and, um, or actually where my parents moved after various other stints, other places. And there's a, a shot of me playing with, with my dog. And like just us like running around. And you know, right now it's like, yeah, whatever, that's silly, that's that's dumb. But I imagine myself, you know, years from now, you know, looking back and being very happy yeah. seeing that. And I, it's happened to me too that, you know, I've had, you know, I, one of my producers passed away. Actually, the person who worked on World Tour with me passed away like uh, a few years ago. And one of the things that I had to grapple with uh, was like, do I give his parents, this VR footage, is that okay? And his, you know, we figured out a way to do that where there, he had a friend of his actually was working at Jaunt. And so his Jaunt friend was also there kind of making oh, okay. sure they saw it. But it's that question too, where it's like, it's so wonderful to have these experiences, like to be able to remember some of the things that matter to us a lot. And I think, um, you know, even though it's, you know, what I'm trying to do is, is trying to combine these three different technologies or more. It's also about what's the conversation all this stuff will have with reality and, and how we live our lives. So I think um, I'm really excited to kind of keep exploring that stuff too. Me too. Yeah. Well, thanks for making time. Yeah. Thanks for having me <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for, thanks for the questions too. It was really good. Yeah, totally. The dog one too. Whew. One of the best. One of the best questions. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. So as always, you can find the transcript and the video at blog.ycombinator.com. And if you have a second, it would be awesome to give us a rating and review wherever you find your podcast. See you next time.